Somebody the other day told me what distinguished the English, the Welsh and the Scots when it came to sport. They said the distinguishing mark of the English is that they rarely win. The distinguishing mark of, of the Welsh is they don't mind who win as long as it's not the English. And the distinguishing mark of the Scots is that whatever the score, they never lose. Apologies to all English, Welsh and Scots. Now what I want us to think about this evening is what are the distinguishing marks of the genuine Christian person so that you can know whether you are one or not. And if you've been invited along this evening and you know that you're not a Christian, I'm hoping that tonight will help you to understand what makes a Christian a Christian. Now it has to be said there is a lot of confusion on, on this matter about what makes somebody a Christian. If you ask the question, what is a Christian, to a number of passers-by at Oxford Circus, I wonder what sort of answer you'd get. Uh, Somebody who's good, somebody who goes to church, somebody who's deluded, uh, somebody who believes in Jesus, somebody who lives in a Christian country, somebody who's bigoted, somebody who's been baptised, so on. There's much confusion today, and many people will offer their opinion, but who is to be believed? Who can give us the definitive answer? Well, you can't do any better than going to the person who's at the centre of Christianity, Jesus Christ, and ask him. And in the passage we've just had read to us from John's Gospel, which I hope you've still got open in front of you, Jesus points us, to three distinguishing marks of the genuine Christian person. And the first mark is this. The true Christian person has entered into a relationship with a living God, which is best described, I think, as a a friendship. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? So let me repeat it. The genuine Christian has entered into an intimate relationship with God, which is best described as friendship. You see, in this part of the Bible, Jesus likens the relationship between himself and uh, uh, his followers as between a shepherd and his flock. Uh, In my childhood, I never lived in the, the country, so I knew absolutely nothing about farming until I left school. And in my year off, before going up to university, I took a year off, I went to Australia and worked on a farm for six months as a jackaroo. Now, if you're wondering what a jackaroo is, it's essentially a, a young man who lodges with the, the owner of the farm, whilst get, uh, is treated as kind of the lowest farm hand around, um, but is paid pocket money, okay, just to cause subsistence living. The farm I worked on was uh, quite large, even by Australian standards. It consisted of 8,000 uh, acres of quite fertile soil. There were over 1,300 uh, head of cattle and 13,000 sheep. Rounding up the sheep was huge fun. Each flock contained about 2,000, and we would tear around on motorbikes with a couple of dogs. Because the sheep were stupid animals and kept having to make a break, uh, you would you'd have to kind of whiz around to try and uh, uh, bring them back. The dogs usually did most of the work, but when I was just on my own with them, they were a complete liability. 
So I used to tie the dogs to the bike. I used to run around to try and these massive fields trying to uh, uh, get the, the sheep. I got quite fit. Can I say sheep farming at the time of the Lord Jesus was nothing like that. It was an intimate affair. A shepherd would have maybe 20, 30 sheep in a flock. And they're more like pets. Every one of those sheep had a name. They were known by their name and they were called by their name. At night, two or three shepherds would pen their sheep together in the same stone enclosure. And how do they sort them out the next morning? Well, they didn't bother to look for kind of ear tags or brands as they did on the farm in Australia. No, the shepherd just stood at the gate and as they came out, he called his own sheep by name. And the sheep, hearing the voice of their shepherd, sorted themselves out. It's a wonderful picture of the true relationship between God and his people, his children. God calls them by name. He says, Will Stalman, you follow me. And I hear the voice of the shepherd. And I say, irrespective of what any, of, uh, anybody else is going to do, I'm going to follow him. For I'm known personally and intimately by the good shepherd. I'm loved by him. Do you know anything about that? Do you have that sort of relationship with God? Look again what Jesus says. It's there in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Extraordinary thought. The same intimacy between Jesus and the God the Father is the sort of intimacy he has, Jesus has with his followers, with his sheep. When Christ looks on you today, he doesn't look on you from a distance. We know uh, some people well, but we know a lot more people from a distance. So we know that perhaps their, their names or one or two things about them, but that's all. But all of us are known intimately by Jesus. And he wants to call you into a friendship with himself. Uh, many people view God rather as they viewed the late queen. They hold him in very high regard and wave, as it were, as if from the, kind of the back of the crowd. But being a Christian is about entering into a friendship with the living God. And I want you to think, if you describe what you've got going between you and God in those categories, do you know what it's like to be on regular friendship speaking terms with the living God? That might be sort of a tricky answer to answer. So let me ask another couple of questions to clarify the point for you. If you were God... And God was you. You can get your mind around that. Would you be satisfied with what you've got going between you? Okay, if you were God and God were you, would you be satisfied with the relationship? In other words, from God's point of view, does this friendship 
brings satisfaction. Uh, for most people, it brings him nothing because they never bother him. <laughs> they never speak, they never worry. So everything is just distant. Here's the second question. Suppose today is the day of judgment and we're all standing along line to meet God and then suddenly we, we find ourselves at the front of the queue and, the, and we're before his throne. Do you think God's going to look down from the throne and say, how good it is to see you, old friend? Will he say something like that or will he say, I'm not sure we've ever met, have we? I never knew you. Have a look at that verse again. John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. It's there in verse 3 as well. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has bought them, bought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. For me, the best thing about being a Christian is to know what it is to have entered into a friendship with the living God. Never alone, always cared for, a terrific sense of security that comes from knowing him. Something that Marina spoke about. Being unsure and now knowing the creator of the universe, the one who gives life. Is that your experience? Do you know what it's like to be friends with God? Because if not, I want you to know that it's possible for you to walk out of this church this evening in friendship with the living God. That's the first mark from this passage of the genuine Christian. The true Christian has entered into a relationship with God, which is best described as friendship. The second mark of the genuine Christian person is that in everyday situations, they submit to Jesus as the boss of their life. So they recognize Jesus to be truly the Son of God, and they obey him. So they say, I hear the voice of the shepherd. And such is the relationship of trust and love that they follow him. They seek to do what he says. They go in the direction he's going in. Can I ask you some questions? Who do you consider to be your life authority? How do you decide what is right and wrong? Basically, who's in charge of your life? I was uh, brought up in a Christian home where my parents were genuine believers, so there was never time when I wasn't familiar with the person of Jesus. But when I went to university, I, I kind of, in my heart, kicked over the traces I decided that I didn't really want anybody to run my life. I was going to, I was going to do it. I was going to be self-sufficient. I, I still had a certain amount of respect for the various authority figures in my life, the law of the land, my parents, 
even the college authorities. I actually still accepted theoretically Jesus Christ to be God's son. But at the end of the day, I had the final say on everything. Often I went along with what might have been considered Christian behavior, but it wasn't because of any act of allegiance to Christ at that point, but simply because it suited me to do so. I was trying to run my life, my way, and behave as if I was self-sufficient. And actually, thinking back to that time, how utterly absurd it was of me to try and do that. I mean, how utterly absurd of anyone to try and do that, because we're not self-sufficient, are we? None of us had. Marina just told us what could happen. You know, you couldn't, you know that, that man couldn't somehow stop himself from being attacked. We're not in control of our lives. Can you think of anything more absurd than me at the age of 20 effectively saying to God, I am my own life authority? I mean, I was treating God as if he wasn't there and as if he wasn't God, which is absurd because... There is a creator, and he is God. He is there. And all that time I was pushing him to one side and saying, stay out of my life, leave me my own. I I thought that I could do a better job than him. (laughs) I thought he would spoil my life. But what does Jesus say in verse 10 of our passage? Please have a look with it again with me. Verse 10 to John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What does he come to do? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And actually, it was only when I eventually gave in to Jesus and allowed him to take over the reins of my life, I started to realize actually the truth of that promise. Before I gave in, I was doing what I described now as a sort of spiritual splits. So one side of me knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And the other part of me just didn't want to have anything to do with him. And you know, if you carry on doing this, you eventually hit a crisis. As, as I did then, I will I'll soon stop. And I, it was actually a miserable existence looking back at it. As you will know if you have done the same... Or you're doing the same at the moment. Trying to live a dual life. Somehow believing in Jesus, but actually not submitting to him. There is unease in your heart as you know that you're living a lie. But when we submit to Jesus' rule, we can start to live as we were created to live. In friendship with God. Knowing his forgiveness. It's one of the the devil's greatest lies to try and convince us that God is wanting to restrict us. That's what he did with Adam and Eve right at the beginning, and he's been doing it ever since. But if we ever stop to think about it, we know that God's God's ways are, he shows us the right way to live. Let's take the Ten Commandments, for instance. God knows what a pain it is to have to keep carrying a bunch of keys. Before this service, uh, there was a guy who came with his bike, and he said, why can't I leave my bike? I don't want it pinched. So he found somewhere where he could uh, hide it safely. He knows what are dreadful the things when people go to their bike or car in the morning and find that it's gone. He knows the heartache of what it is to have your house burgled. So he says, 
Don't steal. Respect people's property. God knows what a horrific thing it does to families when one partner cheats on another. He knows it can make people feel dirty and used. So he says, look, don't commit adultery. God knows how society falls apart when you can't trust what people say. He knows the distrust and suspicion it creates. So he says, please don't, don't, don't tell lies. God wants us to enjoy life at its best now. Yes, but more than that, he wants us to enjoy life with him in a renewed creation. Think for just for a moment of the, the most pleasurable moment in your life so far. I wonder what it was. A moment of utter contentment on a holiday or a, a friendship of, com- of complete trust and ease or the exhilaration of, of, of some achievement. Whatever that moment was, just imagine it being pumped up a million times and then continued indefinitely. And that might just give us sort of an inkling of the quality of what living with God in heaven will be like. The source of all pleasure, the source of all that is wonderful and praiseworthy and good and lovely. The one who's the source of all relationships and love. Heaven's got nothing to do with disembodied spirits wafting around in aimlessly and shimmering light. Heaven is real and concrete. It is where the creator is. It's where Jesus is, the source of all that is good and beautiful and right. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So to turn your back on Jesus is to turn your back on what you were created to be. To turn your back on Jesus is to turn your back on heaven, actually, on life. Can I ask you, how do you react to Jesus? Do you reckon that he is the Son of God and has rights over your life? And then the third mark of the true Christian person is that they have been completely forgiven because Jesus Christ has died for them. What did God do for us when he sent Jesus Christ into the world? Well, he let his son die so that we could be forgiven. Look at verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How much did God love the world? He loved the world that he gave his only son to die on a cross for us. Some of us here are parents. Can you think of anything so significant that you would let your child die for it? You can't, can you? It's just mind-boggling. Something really big is happening in the death of Jesus. And I want to ask you, do you understand that? God, who is so perfect and just that he cannot tolerate any evil, sent his one and only son to die on a cross in our place as our substitute so that we can know God's forgiveness. So Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that we need not experience it. He took his life, he he took all the sins of of our lives upon him so that we might be clothed with his perfect holy life. 
See, the evil things we have said and done and thought, they, they, they do matter. That's good news. It means that God is a God of justice. He cares about what goes on in his world. God is not indifferent. But Jesus died in our place, bearing the punishment that we deserve so that you and I can know God's forgiveness. That is how much he loves you and me. So what would you say to uh, God on the day of judgment if he said to you, whatever are you doing here in front of me unforgiven? Well, I didn't think it mattered very much. So why do, you, why do you think I sent my son into the world to die for you if it didn't matter very much? Of course it matters. Or perhaps somebody might say, well, I've tried to live a pretty decent life. And he'll say, why do you think I allowed my son to die if you could get right with me that way? Of course you can't. See, when God has acted on our behalf by allowing his son to die, he's obviously not fooling around. God expects me to treat him seriously because he has treated us seriously. And there came a point in my life during my first year at university when I realized that I hadn't responded to God properly. That I was not seeking to live a life of obedience to Jesus. And I realized that I had to do something to try and get back into that relationship. I knew that it required a response. And it's not too difficult to realize what you do to do if you've treated somebody appallingly. Imagine for a moment that uh, uh, Ellie there has been leading the service. I, I, I kind of lay into her and behave in a totally appropriate way. When I, when I see her next, I can't pretend that nothing has happened. Now, if I want the relationship to be restored, I have to apologize and say, Ellie, I'm really sorry. Can you, can you find it in your heart to forgive me? And then the ball's in her court. She'll decide whether or not we'll be friends. And so it is with God. If we want to enjoy that friendship with him, then we first have to come before him and acknowledge that we have not treated him as he deserves. Actually, it's often we've treated him as if he wasn't God, but as if we were. We have to admit that, and we have to ask if he'll have us as his friends. And what's God's answer to our plea? Have a look with me again, will you? <laughs> Verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we truly turn to God and say, can you find it in your heart to forgive me? And he says, yes. I will have you back. I will forgive you. Not because what you've done doesn't matter. Not because it's small in my eyes. No, I will forgive you because I love you and I sent Jesus into the world. To die for you. Do you have a relationship with God which can best be described as a friendship? Do you recognize Jesus as the Son of God? And are you seeking to live in daily obedience to Him? Have you had your sins forgiven by Jesus? And friends, it's possible to answer yes 
to all those three questions. And there'll be many here this evening who can say, yes, I know what it's like to have entered into a friendship with God. Yes, I know what it's like to be following Jesus. Yes, I know what it's like to have my sins forgiven. But I imagine that there are some here who can't. For some of us, it's because this is all new. This is your first time you've ever been into a church or heard anything uh, of the Christian message. Can I say, thank you for coming. (laughs) It's great to have you here. Do come back again. And uh, I imagine you'll want to do some more investigating. And so please do, as you said, you know, take away these Gospels, these accounts of Jesus' life. This is one of them. This is the one we'll be looking at, John's Gospel. Take away, read it. And uh, do think about joining the Christianity Explored uh, course, Exploring Christianity. It it would be lovely to have you join us. Uh, I'm um, going to be there kind of hosting the the course which starts here in this building on Monday week at 7 o'clock. And it is just, can I say, there is no question is off limits. And we look at one of the accounts of Jesus' life together, Plenty of chance to discuss, ask questions, and explore. So please do that. But I imagine that there are some of us here for whom this is not new. Actually, you know about Jesus and the cross, but you've never personally accepted Jesus as your boss. Or you may have done so once but you've let things slip really badly. Well, I'm going to pray a prayer now, which you can pray with me quietly. We're not going to pray it aloud. <laughs> Just you can pray it quietly in your own heart if you want to leave here this evening with Jesus as your Lord, with your sins forgiven, and in friendship with God. I'll pray this prayer phrase by phrase. Let me tell you what I'm going to pray, because it's horrible when people put words in your lips and you speak for you and you don't know what you're saying. This is what I'll pray. I'll pray will be like this. I'll pray something like this. Almighty God, thank you for making me and for coming into the world to die for me. Thank you that you want to enter into friendship with me. I admit that I've treated you as if you were not God and as if you did not exist. Please forgive my absurd self-sufficiency. Will you please come and be the master of my life and help me to be your faithful servant until my life's end? It's effectively saying, sorry to God, to Jesus, and saying, I want to follow. I want to be in friendship with you. Do you want to pray that prayer? Some of you are thinking about it. Well, look... Let's have a moment of quiet. I'm going to pray it now. If you don't, if you're all in, you don't want to pray, just sit, sit this out. But for someone here, this might be a prayer you want to pray. Just pray it phrase by phrase in your heart as I lead us in prayer now. Let's bow our heads. Almighty God, thank you for making me and for coming in the person of your son, to die for me. Thank you that you want to enter into friendship with me.
I admit I've treated you as if you were not God. And as if you did not exist. Please forgive my absurd selfishness. Will you please now come and be the master of my life? And will you help me to be your faithful servant until my life's end? Amen.